Good morning, everyone. No, we're going to go back there. If I um, haven't had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Michael, and I'm super excited to be able to share the word with us today. I know we have a stepping stone joining us, like Christy said, from their retreat. So welcome. We're super glad you're here. So sorry, something just popped up on my screen. Okay, we're ready to go now. So we're continuing our sermon series titled Moving Forward in Faith. And what we're going to be doing today is taking this deeper look at the purpose of Grace Life Church right here. You know, helping us understand who is it that God has called us to be and practically what does it look like to live out this purpose in our daily lives. So I'll read it for us again. Our purpose statement is this, encountering and responding to God in our everyday lives and inviting others on this journey. Encountering and responding to God in our everyday lives and inviting others on this journey. So last week, Pastor Phil walked us through the beginning of this. We're going to look at this again from a different perspective um, through a passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. So if you have your Bibles, you can open with me there and as we read together. The passage reads this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right, would you pray with me before we begin? Father, we just thank you so much for this beautiful day, uh, for this time you've given us to gather to hear your word. I ask that you, your spirit would be with us, would speak to us, would teach us what it looks like to move forward with this purpose that you have given for our church. We love you and we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week, as a recap for those who weren't here with us, or I think for Stepping Stone, it was last night, Pastor Phil walked us through this passage in Mark chapter one, where we see Jesus's initial call toward his disciples to follow him. We see this encounter with Jesus, follow me, and subsequently this response by his disciples. Um, Mark one says this, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. We see this idea, encountering God and responding to him. You know, I want you to know that this inner resolution that these disciples had, this decision to say, Jesus, I will follow you with my life, that this is so important to thinking about our purpose here at Grace Life Church. You know, I think about the example of when you start your car, you, you turn your key, I think for the newer generation is like you press the start button on the car, but you get that initial spark. You get that burst that gets the car going, the engine starting to move. I think this initial encounter, this response to God, this resolution in your heart, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. That's that spark that sets off our trajectory, the path we're on to follow him. Today, we're going to move forward in the purpose. So while the first encounter, that first response to God surely is necessary, surely is this key, powerful moment of faith in our lives in our walk with Christ, I want to submit this to you today, that in order to be alive in Christ, that we need to constantly be encountering and responding to God 
in our everyday lives, encountering and responding to God in our everyday lives. You know, just like that car that's turned on, it's, it's not just a one-time spark. It's actually this constant firing of the pistons over and over again, whether the car is on the highway going 80 miles per hour, or whether you're idling at a stoplight, you know, resting at a stoplight, those pistons in the engine are constantly firing. That I think encountering and responding to God, it is this lifelong process of being alive in him. So that's where we're going today. That the call to follow Jesus, it's not this one and done deal. It's this lifelong process that we are on. Now, historically in the church, there's been a term for this that's been going around, and it's called discipleship. This process of following Jesus, no matter what stage of life you may be in. I think many of us have probably heard of discipleship, talked about in different contexts or different ways. Maybe you think about a class that you've been a part of, or you think about a mentorship program to be a part of. Um, today, my hope through this time we have together is to build together a simple definition for discipleship that I hope sticks with us, one that we can go back to over and over again. And it's this, that holistic discipleship is simply this, intentionally learning to follow the way of Jesus, intentionally learning to follow the way of Jesus. And I have this quote here, that at the end of the day, if we think about discipleship in this way, it cannot be siloed to one of many programs in the church. It is the only program in the church that no matter what we're doing, no matter where we think we're headed, um, whatever stage of Christian life we are at, that the focus should be discipleship. It should be learning to follow the way of Jesus. And there's no better place in scripture that paints a picture of a church pursuing this sort of discipleship. One so practically, so tangibly, as this passage we just read in Acts chapter 2. So that's where we're headed. Let me start with um, providing us some of the context of the passage. Jesus, in the beginning of Acts, has just ascended into heaven, and he tells his disciples, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So they wait there. And in Acts chapter 2, we see on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit comes, and it said in tongues of fire, comes upon the disciples. And by the end of the chapter, we see this picture that we just read of the first church. One, this undeniably powerful movement of the Holy Spirit working through these people. It says in Acts that 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. That the result of this first church was this explosion of Christianity. One that overpowered literally the most powerful empire at the time, the Roman Empire. I have this uh, table here from a historian book shows the growth of Christianity, 40% per decade. That in the first 300 years, it went from basically zero people to over half the population being Christian. And all historians agree. You know, all historians who study this time period, whether they're, they're religious historians or secular historians, they agree something happened among these people, something so powerful, a life among these people that was so purposeful, so attractive, that it created this fastest growing movement in history, one that crossed political barriers, one that crossed racial barriers, socioeconomic barriers. And they agree that all this happened through these ordinary people, these nobodies who saw themselves as disciples, people who were learning to follow the way of Jesus. So that's where we're headed. 
we're going to build this definition of discipleship together. And we're going to be answering these two questions. One, the who of discipleship. What do we learn about the people in this passage? And secondly, the what of discipleship. What do we see these people doing? So let's get started. The who. What do we learn about the people? Well, the passage begins with these four words, and they devoted themselves. Now, the word devoted here, in the Greek, it literally translates to they gave themselves away. Some of the translations even say they gave themselves away. These people in this passage were marked with this mindset of devotedness, of giving themselves away. Now, first, I think discipleship for these people was a response to give themselves away to Jesus and to the gospel story. They acknowledged and they accepted this new story for their lives, one that was no longer about themselves, about their goals, their work, their purposes, but it was centered around the person of Jesus, that he was the new center of their story, where they would say, my life is centered on following you, Jesus. That's what my life is about. The author of Acts, the writer of this book, actually hints at that in the beginning of his letter. Acts 1 verse 1 says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And if we know the first book is this gospel of Luke, the story of what Jesus began to do and teach, as the author is saying, the author is saying that Acts is this continuation of that story, what Jesus continues to do and teach. That as we read the book of Acts, we don't primarily read a story about the church or about the apostles. We read a story primarily about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. That this story begins in Luke with the gospel, and that gospel story continues through the book of Acts. It wasn't writing their own story. It wasn't defining their own purpose. It was following Jesus and being written into his story. I think that's a central thought that guided everything these people did. That's what created this powerful, transformative movement. So yeah, I hope you're tracking with me there. We're going to get back to that, so hold that thought. But I think secondly, for, these, for discipleship for these people was a response to give themselves away to one another. We see that the passage here is filled with these plural pronouns. It says, they devoted themselves. You know, verse 47, attending the temple together, that they met together. Verse 44, that all who believed were together, that this plurality, this word together, not only was what they did, but it defined who they were. They were together. That when we talk about who it is who are disciples of Jesus, who do we see in this passage? We see a together people. We see a church family. That this togetherness defined who they were. You know, they weren't, we don't see them urging one another to come together. We actually see them not being able to not be together. They couldn't not be together. That day by day, they're breaking homes and their bread. They're attending the temple together. We see even how far this goes. You know, in verse 44, it says, they were together and they had all things in common. They had all things in common. Now, commentators say, you know, this wasn't some sort of literal communism. As you read through Acts, you see people owning homes, you see people having businesses, you see this sense of private property, but historians talk about it not as a literal communism, but as a spiritual communalism, this radical sense of saying, I'm going to give myself away to one another mentally, financially, and emotionally. Now we can remind ourselves 
you know, these, this first church, these people, they weren't people who were necessarily similar to one another or who were friends, but they were people who were from an extremely diverse background, people who would have come together from all over the world to Jerusalem for Pentecost. We see men and women, rich and poor, Jews and non-Jews in the beginning of Acts speaking all sorts of different languages and that these people came together. They created this community that was unseen in the culture before. I think when we think about what it looks like to be aligned to the purpose of Grace Life or for the students for the purpose of Stepping Stone, what it looks like to encounter and to respond to God in our everyday lives, it is living with this sense of giving of ourselves away and the sense of spiritual communalism, the sense of togetherness. I think what's fascinating to me is that when we think about purpose generally, both as a church together now, but also individual, you know, like what is your own individual purpose? Researchers today um, are beginning, I think, to grasp exactly what these disciples understood. Some of you may know this woman here. Her name is Dr. Brene Brown. She's a world-renowned researcher of today, PhD in social work, and extensively spent the past few decades studying human behavior. You may know her from this famous TED Talk she gave in 2010, and she has these six uh, number one New York Times bestselling books. But she spent decades conducting interviews with people trying to build a working theory and definitions for things like shame, things like why people do the things they do, and she comes to these two fundamental ideas. You know, these are quotes from one of her books, Daring Greatly. She says, first, her first fundamental idea is this. We, all of humanity, are hardwired for connection. That's connection is what gives us purpose and meaning to our lives. And secondly, she says, the wholehearted, those who find and live with the sense of purpose, with the sense of meaning, identify vulnerability, this openness, this exposing of oneself as the catalyst for connection. She continues by saying this, vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is a source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. I think what Brene is saying here is that this idea of vulnerability, in many ways, this idea of giving yourself away, of opening yourself up, exposing yourself for the diverse yet unique individual with all the gifts, all the flaws that you have of living in community with one another, letting others into maybe that personal space of yours, that that vulnerability, that's the only catalyst that provides purpose, that provides wholeheartedness we search for. Now, some of you may, may think about that and be like, man, that's hard. That sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of emotional turmoil for myself. And that's right. No, there's no bait and switch here with Christianity. Following Jesus does not mean you resolve in your minds, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and life is perfect. But no, rather the opposite. It's acceptance that life is messy. It means you resolve. And what I'm saying is in my new purpose, in my new life with Jesus, my purpose is real connection. It's meaningful relationship with God, with one another. It means working through messiness when it gets uncomfortable. I think what the disciples saw here, what Brene is saying here, 
is that we can surely look for purpose elsewhere. We can look for purpose in our career, in our family, in our greatness. We can close ourselves off to this idea of emotion, this messiness that vulnerability brings. But it's only when we come to this place, when we're able to lay it before Jesus, say, I'm going to embrace vulnerability. I'm going to embrace giving myself away, the sense of being known by others. Do we begin this path toward wholeness, allowing us, I think, to encounter, to respond to God in new ways, maybe we never have been able to before. But we probably have the question, right? That sounds awesome. How do I get there? Where, though, did the disciples find the strength to live that way? I think it goes back to our first point. You know, not only did the disciples give themselves away, be vulnerable to one another, they gave themselves away to God. In John chapter 17, Jesus says this, as he's praying to the Father, he says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now that word sanctify there, it literally translates again to that same word, devote, to give himself away. That Jesus is saying, for their sake, for our sake, I give myself away, I devote myself to them. That Jesus came into the world to become vulnerable. That he chose, I'm going to empty myself of all my glory, of all my beauty, so that these people, so that we can find our beauty so that we can be glorious in his eyes, that he chose to be rejected so that we can find um, our lives in him, so that we can know that we are loved. I think this is the core of the gospel story that the disciples understood, the story that they chose to orient their lives around, understanding what it is that Jesus had done for them, understanding no other God, no other religion would the God give himself away for his people. This was the motivation that led to change in their reality. I think it looked like this, that when they were in conflict with others, they, they couldn't choose to hold on to their glory, to keep to their own space. They saw that when they were in conflict with God, Jesus didn't choose to stay in his own space. He came to them and drew near to them. They said, since Jesus did this for me, how can I draw near my neighbor? When they saw the poor, when they saw someone who they had no one in common with, they couldn't continue to condescend them as worthless. When they saw an enemy, they couldn't continue in hatred, continue in anger. They saw what Jesus had done for them. They chose to step into those spaces with their finances, with their resources, with their forgiveness, their whole self. I think the fact that Jesus gave himself away for these people made them a different people, changed their view on what their story was, what their reality was. You know, in my own personal story, um, I was one who chose to seek my own purpose. That my, my first year of high school, my parents had separated. You know, for me, it was, a, it was a traumatic experience. I chose to isolate myself. I said, I'm going to forge my own path. I'm going to focus on my career. I'm going to build my own family. I'm going to make my own purpose. And to tell you the truth, I did. I did it. I made it to Hopkins, where I went to college. I... Um, was still the top of my class. I had a girlfriend at the time. From, from all perspectives, I really had everything going for me. Um, the outside, it probably looked like I had it all together, but on the inside, I still knew there was this emptiness. There was something missing. And that's where I encountered Stepping Stone, right at Hopkins. And I met people who were in the same life stage as me. You know, there were some who seemed to have it all together and they were 
there were some who seemed to be struggling. But what I knew is there was something different about these people, something that brought a sense of peace, of contentment, of joy, despite their struggles. That I saw these people that were connected to one another in a way I had never seen before, willing to share about the joys of their life, about the struggles of their life. I remember probably my second or third small group meeting I ever attended, the leader started to share with the group some of the weaknesses of sin he was experiencing, some of the struggles he had, and he asked for prayer. I said, people don't do this, especially not leaders. I had never seen this before. And then he did something unique. He prayed. He started to confess his sin to God, and he continued on. He said, he started to thank God. He started to say, thank you, God, for giving me life. Start to celebrate the life that God had given him. And that's where I learned, you know, these people, these people who I'd encountered believed that their God had given himself away for them and had brought them life. And I knew that year, I knew that semester, you know, Jesus was saying to me, he had given himself away from me, that he had become vulnerable for me. That he wanted me to find life in him. And I knew in that moment, you know, if I was to follow God, a God who had given himself away from me, that the only response would be to give myself away to others. And I wrestled with that. But for the first time that year, I remember beginning to share about uncertainty in my future. I remember beginning to share about emptiness, about hurt I experienced in my life, about struggles I wrestled with. And I started to let people into these spaces. I started to look at, you know, these blessings that I held onto so tightly, the time I had, the resources or the, the finances that I had. And I started to look at them with a new perspective. These are no longer my own. I learned what would it look like to give these things I held on to so tightly away to those around me. You know, I ask you today, when have you experienced this sort of vulnerability in your own life? What would it look like for you to maybe move forward this year in a vulnerable way with others around you, letting God, letting others into these spaces of yours? I think this is who the disciples were. This is how they were defined. This is who God has called us to be as we think about living out our purpose here. And it's okay, you know, to say along with me, I don't know yet what that fully looks like. I don't know what it looks like to fully practice vulnerability, this idea of giving ourselves away. But we need to say, I know I cannot figure that out on my own. That it is not something that can be done alone, that we need one another. And so I think that's the who of discipleship, one of devotedness, one of togetherness, and it provides us this context for understanding discipleship. And I wrote it here. First, it's the gospel. It's a story we write ourselves into that God has given himself away to us, and therefore we give ourselves away to this story, to God. We center our lives around this. And second, it's vulnerability. It's like this idea that God has called us to give ourselves away to one another as a response of what he's done for us, this real togetherness. That's the context. But we'll move on. You know, the second question is, is this here. What practically does a lifelong journey of discipleship look like? What do we see the disciples doing in this passage? My hope here is to build out what I think is a hopefully a simple, clear framework, maybe to be thought of as a tool or a definition, something we can grasp together, something we can unite around as a church, say to ourselves in confidence, I am in this process of discipleship, 
maybe we can share that or articulate it in this way with others. And it's this, again, discipleship, holistic discipleship is intentionally learning to follow the way of Jesus. And to break that down even more, I think we can talk about it using categories. I have this little diagram here, you know, not to compartmentalize faith, but really to intentionally follow Jesus. What does it look like to intentionally follow him in all spaces of life, holistically? So we'll break it down into three categories, um, disciplines, mission, and rhythms, no one more important than the other. And we'll say that all of these things happen in the context of the gospel of vulnerability, these things we talked about. So let's jump in to these categories, see how we see them in this passage. The first is disciplines. We see again at the beginning, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, that's the scripture as we know it today and to the prayers that we see constantly in these disciples writing, in their speaking, in their fellowship with one another, that they were committed to these spiritual disciplines such as scripture and prayer. That for them, it was this intentional effort to hear from God, to continue to hear from God, to be reminded of that gospel story that they chose to live in. For them, I think these spiritual disciplines were the primary way they continued to encounter God, you know, in their everyday lives. And it's not a surprise, you know, when we look at churches throughout history that they chose to focus on things like scripture reading on prayer as necessary components for spiritual growth or discipleship. No doubt um, we as a church are going to continue to do that here. Um, that discipleship will include these lifelong processes, things like um, reading and meditating on scripture, things like prayer, confession, fasting, and giving. And giving. We're going to you know, go more into some of these in later teachings, but I thought I'd, I'd just leave you with a few questions here to think about. First, what spiritual disciplines do you currently practice? Or maybe what are you committed to practicing this year? Maybe think about that question. And secondly, um, this might be a harder one, but what would it look like to practice some of these spiritual disciplines regularly with others in your community? Maybe you think about sharing what about the gospel story you are being reminded of in your time in the word, in your time in prayer. How does that change your life? Maybe it's finding a time of regular confession with a few individuals around you. Maybe it's finding a time of regular giving of your time, of your resources, to a need around you with others in your community. I think that's disciplines, thinking through what are these spiritual disciplines that we practice and how do we move forward in that? That's a huge part of what it means to follow Jesus. But secondly, and I think equally important, equally important is this idea of mission, that we cannot forget the story we choose to center our lives around is the fact that Jesus, he surely came to give himself for us but not only for us, that God's story is to bring all people to himself. It's this idea of bringing shalom, this restoration, this wholeness to our whole world, that he's a missional God with a missional story. You know, I'm reminded of Acts chapter one, verse eight. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth that the call to follow Jesus is this call to be his witnesses, to be part of his mission, is to be an active part of the gospel story. 
you know, I ask, what does it look like to be a part of that mission? What do we see the disciples doing in this passage? Well, first, I think we see a focus on proclaiming the gospel. It says the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Surely this idea of mission includes this proclaiming, this sharing of the gospel story with others around us, sharing this good news that we are a part of. But I think secondly, one that's often missed is we see a focus even on demonstrating the gospel, that we see that they were selling their possessions and they were um, and their belongings and they were distributing them to all as any had need. You know, I, I think about this, what would it look like for us to be a church to not only focus on this idea of discipleship holistically, but also mission holistically, to join God first where he's working to care for lost people, for those who don't know him, but also to care for the needs of the city, the needs of maybe our own school that we're at, or the places we live, our neighborhoods. You know, when um, the leadership team and the staff came together to think through um, what it is this purpose statement of Grace Life Church will be for this year, um, the facilitator, this person who was helping us out, asked the question, what would it look what would be missing if your church were not here? What would be missing if your church were not here? And that was a profound question to me, that what would, our, what would people in our community miss if we, Grace Life Church, or if Stepping Stone Ministry at Hopkins didn't exist? And as I read the passage, um, verse 47 stood out to me. It says that through all these things the disciples were doing, that they had favor with all the people. Now, surely um, there were some from the beginning who did not like the church, who wanted to persecute them, um, who didn't want them there. But I think what this verse tells me is that there were a whole lot of people, a whole lot of non-Christians who saw the church and who said, we want these people here, that we need these people in our city. You know, what would it look like to be known for our love for the community and for the people around us? What would it look like to step out and care so deeply for the needs of our community because we know it is part of God's mission? For people around us to say, we actually need this church here. And that when we share the gospel, when we share this good news, this story that we've been written into, it was not seen as awkward. It was not seen as manipulation. It was along relational lines that people knew our love for the community and they knew that we had been written into this story that was about bringing restoration to all people. I think that's mission and that's something for us to consider. What does it look like to, for that to be an integral part of what it looks like to follow Jesus? Lastly, brings us to our third category. And this is the one I think we'll focus on today the most and that's rhythms. You know, this is probably the category that's the most broad. Everyone has rhythms of life. Um, but often I think these are not considered spaces where we're learning to follow Jesus. Consider these six, working and studying, resting, eating, telling stories, celebrating and mourning. Most of us honestly could probably sum up the majority of our lives with these things. In the passage, we see the disciples doing these, these things. They're telling stories, they're teaching one another, they're breaking bread and they're eating in their homes, they're celebrating, with glad and generous hearts is what it says, that the day-to-day -day, um, they were focusing on these things, not just the spiritual things that were important to them. I think that's why at the center of our purpose statement is this phrase, encountering and responding to God 
in our everyday lives, that how do we see all of life as encountering and responding to God, all of life as discipleship? Paul um, says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that to do things for the glory of God is to make him seen, to make God known in these everyday spaces of life. My question is this, in order for us to help get into this mindset, sometimes out of the programmatic mindset of church, that it's an event you go to, that is something you serve at, how do we take a step back? How do we look at all of life? What are the rhythms of life, of everyday life that we choose to engage in? What would it look like to do these things for God's glory, to make him known in these spaces? You know, I have a few examples here. When I think about work, working or studying for students, that before Jesus, it may have been this space to get what you want or to make money. But after Jesus in this gospel story, we now see it as this tool, as this space to serve others, as a space to live as a local missionary among non-Christians. I think about the idea of resting. You know, before Jesus, maybe that was an idea of escaping from your life, of getting away from the busyness. But now in the gospel, it's a, it's a space to renew our life, to remind ourselves that the gospel provides everything we need. You know, I think about this idea of eating, of telling stories. Um, before the gospel, it's this space maybe for us to enjoy time with company we prefer. After the gospel, it becomes this space to build relationships. We see it as a space to share the gospel through our own story, maybe even be reminded of the gospel. Do you know how many times in the Bible this idea of a meal is talked about in the Garden of Eden. God says, eat from all the trees except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He says, be reminded that every time you eat, I am your provider. When we see Exodus and the Passover story, that God provides this meal, the Passover meal, as this um, idea to be talked about, this thing to be practiced for all generations, this reminder that God is a redemptive God, that God says, I have designed these everyday rhythms these spaces as places for you to follow me through, to enjoy and to worship me through, to invite others into this space of blessing. You know, I'll share an example, one of where Lonnie and I took a rhythm that we were practicing and said, how do we learn to follow Jesus intentionally through this? Um, here I have a story. Last year, we decided to throw Isaac a one-year-old, one-year birthday party. You know, it's a big thing in Korean culture. You you dress them up and you do all this stuff. And we practice, you know, the rhythm of celebrating, of eating together, of telling stories. We threw him this big party. We invited our friends, our family, but we asked, what would it look like to follow Jesus in this space? And what we did was um, we put together this slideshow of Isaac's life. I have a few photos there on the left. One that showed a story of, you know, a baby born at 24 weeks old, four months early at one pound, was given an extremely slim chance of survival. Stayed in the hospital for over three months, the intensive care unit. And honestly, through a miracle by God, by the grace of God, he's alive, he's healthy today. We showed that video with the people who came. We shared this story of faith in God. We showed even how we chose to name him Isaac, this child of promise, this reminder you know, from the Bible that God provides the ram, that God provided even his own son to die for us. 
that Isaac has become part of this gospel story that we have written ourselves into. And after the party, I remember us going out to dinner with some family. And honestly, I had a more real conversation about faith, a deeper conversation about faith with a family member I had ever had before. It was simply following Jesus through a rhythm of life, asking intentionally, how do I follow Jesus in this space? You know, for Stepping Stone, I remember when we were in college, um, we said, what would it look like to follow Jesus as we ate in the dining halls? This everyday thing we had to do. Um, we noticed many people there, you know, not just a few who would sit by themselves, who would eat alone. And we said, you know, we believed God had called us to love these people, not necessarily to share the gospel with them in every moment, but we felt like he had called us to extend love to them, to build relationship with them, to invite them to come to eat with us, and, and ultimately to, to invite them into that everyday rhythm we were practicing of blessing. You know, how do we take these everyday things we do, like eating in homes, eating in the dining halls, celebrating, mourning, telling stories, even working, resting, and learn to follow Jesus through them. You know, what may that look like for you? I hope you, I hope you think about that as we move forward, but that's that idea of rhythms. So this is how we wanna move forward in faith. As we think about moving forward this year, we think about this holistic definition of discipleship. No one category more or less emphasized than the others. And I'll end with this, you know, for Stepping Stone, as you go into this semester, my prayer is that you would consider together, what would it look like to be a ministry that practices holistic discipleship together? One that's committed to working intentionally with one another, intentionally following Jesus in all of life. Go from here, talk about that, challenge one another, help each other rethink the things you do through this lens. I think for Grace Life, you know, we're going to be creating further space to have conversations about this idea of holistic discipleship. We're coming close to um, kicking off community groups as we move forward, and we're coming together with this new framework, one that is not just a Bible study, but that is focused on practicing holistic discipleship in our everyday lives. I invite you to join us, to, to be there, to brainstorm with us, to plan with us, to think about what does it look like to bring my whole self, my gifts, my weaknesses, you know, the places I live, the everyday rhythms I practice, my vulnerability on the table with others around me. So I encourage everyone to be a part of that. You know, to end, I'll share this uh, last verse that I think stood out to me, John 10, verse 10, the story of the good shepherd. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life that they may have it abundantly. You know, a life of discipleship is not an empty life. It's not an overwhelming life. It's an abundant life. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what we are given. And it's the gospel of Jesus that binds us together, that brings us this abundant life. This story of this good shepherd who gives himself away for us, who lays himself down for his sheep. That's the good news that gives us our purpose as we move forward. I'll remind us one more time, encountering and responding to God in our everyday lives, inviting others on this journey. Now let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this time you've given us. Um, we pray you would move us forward as your people, your church who lives so purposefully, so intentionally learning to follow the way of Jesus. And would you teach us what it looks like to live this holistically, 
to be guided by you, to look to your story and be reminded that you, Jesus, have given yourself away for us. We celebrate um, the life we have today in you, and we just pray that, that that love, that life would extend to so many around us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.